Hosting for With the First Link on the Trek Geeks Network is brought to you by Fansets, creators of cool pins and memorabilia from your favorite franchises. Visit fansets.com and use code FIRSTLINK, all caps, for your exclusive 10% discount. Hello, and welcome to With the First Link, the podcast that hopes to make our future as bright and as just as the one that we see on Star Trek The Next Generation. And we think that one way to do that is to recap and discuss the entire series one episode at a time, doing our best to look at it all through an anti-oppression, pro-diversity, anti-racist lens. I'm Ruthie Kauprasamoshi. And I'm Matthew Simone, and today we'll be talking about the schizoid man. This episode was written by Tracy Torme, Richard Manning, and Hans Beimler, and directed by Les Landau. It first aired on January 21st, 1989. So a couple things before we get into the check-in. Uh, the first thing, we just want to mention the title, uh, which Matt just said. This title is, I think, a pretty ableist title. So it's the schizoid man and schizoid personality disorder is part of what is now referred to as cluster A personality disorders. Just sort of the idea that someone with a personality disorder is evil and would inflict harm on others is super problematic, especially when people with mental illnesses are often on the receiving end of harm more often. So we just want to acknowledge that. Is this term even much in use anymore? Or is it more like a is a kind of one that's fallen out of use that's now been replaced by terms that are more accurate? Yeah, I don't I don't actually know. The word schizoid, I believe, is related to like the, the term schism, which means split. So I don't I don't actually know. It's not one that I have heard much, but I also uh, don't spend a whole lot of time talking about personality disorders. So I don't mm. actually know. It's problematic, even if it is still in use. But yeah, if it's not still in use, then that's sort of even yet another reason that it's a problem. Right. So probably kind of like an inaccurate employment of the term to try to describe what happens to data as a split, like ego later on in the episode. I think it's also a comment on Ira Graves because he, so the the sort of symptoms or traits of people uh, with this kind of personality disorder are people who prefer to be solitary, have difficulty relating to others, which is something that we see in the character of Ira Graves, but he's also just like a jerk. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's not the same as having a personality disorder. Right. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing we wanted to talk about before the check-in. The other thing, Matthew, you've got some stuff to tell us about. Yeah, so I'm heading down to Mission Chicago, the Star Trek convention in Chicago on April the 8th to the 10th. We'll be doing a sequel to the Trektivism panel that was part of the Trek Talks Trek Geeks Telethon that was doing the fundraiser for the Hollywood Food Coalition. So once again, we'll be bringing together a panel of people, fans, and cast members in the Star Trek community who are doing real-world social change. And so we have a great lineup of people. Not all the names are fixed yet, but we'll be doing an announcement about that on social media. So if you're following either the First Link pod on social media, uh, myself, or uh, the Trektivism hashtag, or the Mission Chicago hashtag, uh, you'll probably see information about our panel. I'm really excited about it because this is what I'm super passionate about, is using our fandom, not as a way to just 
escape the world. Although I think that's still a totally valid way to express your fandom because sometimes Star Trek for me is a really needed and healthy escape from what's going on in the world. But I think also to take some of that inspiration from the 24th century and bring it back to make this world a little bit more what like what that world can be kind of like what we talk about in the intro to every episode we do (laughs) yeah 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 so i'm excited about it i think it's gonna be great and i would love if you're gonna be there please show up uh and also visit the trek geeks uh, booth so trek geeks is going to have a booth there and a number of us who are uh hosts for podcasts on the trek geeks network will be at that booth and hanging out in and around it so Uh, come say hi. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast, you have heard Matthew speak, but I have also had the pleasure of listening to him speak uh, live and it's it's awesome. He's a good speaker. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm sorry you won't be able to make it this time. I know. And and another time in the future, we'll get both of us down to one of these. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not able to make it, but it it does. uh, It is. It does sound like it's going to be super amazing and I'm really happy that you're doing it. So. Yeah, and I haven't been at a convention since I think Los Angeles and, uh, or sorry, Las Vegas in 2019, and I don't think a lot of people have been. So yeah, uh, just because of the pandemic and everything, so it'll be we'll be taking precautions, every precaution we can, but it'll be nice to see groups of fans together again. Yeah. Do you want to get into the check-in? Let's get into the check-in. Let's talk about immortality. Ooh, would you choose to be immortal? Well, I there was a time in my life when I would have said definitely yes. And I remember actually having this conversation with friends and being like, it would just, it would be amazing. Like you just meet lots of people and you just, you know, keep keep meeting new people. And yeah, you have to say goodbye to people who are not immortal. But if, if I'm the only one yeah. who is, then, you know, I still see a lot and learn a lot. Uh, so that used to be my thought. I guess that would have been 10, 15 years ago. Uh, now that I... I'm a little older. I don't know. I think that I want to, obviously it was never like an option for me to choose yes or no. I think I would prefer if I had the choice to make the time that I have as good as possible, as amazing as possible, contribute what I can and do what I can and then make space for others. I don't know. What about you? I hadn't thought of it like that, like making making way for other people and maybe other ideas. And mm. it's hard to say. I I go back and forth on this because at heart I feel like I'm an explorer and there is so much world and universe out there to explore. Now how could I possibly see all of it? Sure. Unless I lived for an immense amount of time. Yeah. I don't know about immortality, because I feel like after a while the time and do you retain all that memory? Like after a while, is all that time suffocating? Mm. Like you just you would become just subsumed by a lifetime that goes on forever. Yeah. Could you like how much how much trauma happens over an immortal life, and does that continue to affect you? Can you what what happens? And so we don't we don't have the context for that in a normal mortal brain. And heart, like how would that affect somebody? But I think it would be nice to live at least longer, like maybe 200 years. Sure. I guess technically I'm already a middle-aged person, <laughs> right? So like, <laughs> I don't think, because you think middle-aged, you think like 50 or whatever, but I, it's probably more like 40. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to live. And I feel like I've just kind of barely gotten things started. Like, I envy people who have had such clear direction or focus in their life earlier because I, I don't feel like I'm one of those people. Like I feel like only in the last five years has my life really come into like a focus in the way that I that I wanted. 
But maybe that also raises questions as to what that's supposed to be. Can a life that's 300 years long be as like, I don't want to use the word meaningful, but do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, someone could probably live like 20 years, a 20 year life, and it could still be as impactful or meaningful or, you know, how much time do we need for life to be meaningful in that way? And I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, I think it's. Well, I, I've talked about, like a million times, I've talked about the podcast, Our Opinions Are Correct, but it's because it's a really good podcast. Mm-hmm. But I remember a while ago, they did an episode on the idea of like parallel universes. One thing that they brought up was a problem with that idea that if we've got infinitely many parallel universes, a, a new universe exists for every possible choice that could be made. The problem with that idea is that then there isn't really any incentive to make this universe or this world good. And I wonder if there is a piece of that with immortality. If we have infinite time to do everything we want to do, what's going to drive us to do anything at all? Especially personally as someone with like ADHD who is like, often only ever driven by deadlines, I could see myself getting pretty bored. First of all, I, I don't have an ADHD diagnosis, but I'm highly suspect that I might have ADHD <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing now a diagnosis. Nice. But I, while, while I am very much a deadline-driven person, I don't like to be pushed by anxiety all the time. Okay. And I found that I can still have very creative, I'd say almost like manic episodes that sometimes are just driven by passion and interest mm-hmm. and, in fact, feel f- more freedom to do so when there isn't, like, the anxiety of a deadline behind it. Sometimes that anxiety can actually just make me procrastinate even more. Oh, yeah. And you know that that's true given my track record of handing in assignments on time in university, <laughs> um, <laughs> which I don't think was ever uh, past second year. I don't think I literally handed in a single assignment in on time. Yeah. Um, back then, I didn't know that's why that I was dealing with incredible anxiety. I yeah. just had bought into this idea of, like, poor time management and that I was, like, lazy but same yeah. that's not what it is like i would literally sit down and have like almost a panic attack anytime i had to write a paper it's yeah. just what yeah. would happen so i don't know sometimes i would like to think that 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 extra breathing room of time would be good for my creativity and my mm-hmm. and my mental health and, and ability to be productive but i'm not sure i i would but yeah if i had the choice i don't know about immortality but if i had to make this deal with somebody whoever that entity would be q or whatever i'd be like just an extra 100 years would be good. All right. 200. Extra 100, 100 years. 200 years would be nice. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that's fair. But I wouldn't steal someone else's body. No? You wouldn't do that? No. That's <laughs> that's a terrible price for immortality, yeah. as we'll see. Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of it. Like, okay, if I could have this and it wouldn't, it wouldn't negatively affect others, sure, maybe. But if it's going to, yeah, if it means taking, if we're, if we're working on like a a zero-sum situation, then no. Maybe you change bodies. Not to jump franchises, but to jump franchises. Maybe like Doctor Who, where every time you get a new life, you like kind of become almost a new form each time. And so you kind of live a new life over again. That might work for me because I've always thought if I could have a superpower, it would be like Mystique's, like shape-shifting. Yeah. So I wouldn't mind that. Now we're getting all over the place. So perhaps we should go back to this episode. Yeah, we could literally do this podcast forever <laughs> if we kept going on the discussion of immortality. We're not immortal, though, so let's go into it. Yeah. No, we're not. Yeah, so we better get it finished because we've got to produce it by Thursday. <laughs> okay. In this episode, the Enterprise responds to a request for medical assistance for Dr. Ira Graves, a brilliant antisocial scientist. But when they arrive, 
Graves decides to take matters into his own hand. I was thinking about this because when they arrive, they arrive on the, the medical log says that the Enterprise is on its way to Graves World. I'm trying to think anytime that someone named a place after themselves where that, pla- that person wasn't like a jerk. And I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. So yeah. I thought it was telling that right away this world is named after this dude. And he lives like alone on it basically with his assistant he is, mm-hmm. we hear from Dr. Pulaski's medical log that he is arguably the greatest human mind in the universe. And I have to say, like, just, re- I just reject that premise entirely. He is clearly very brilliant. He's doing a lot of research uh, that relates to artificial intelligence and cybernetics. And he's done a lot of work in that area. But the idea that, like, you can compare people that way to the point where you can have someone who is to that you could argue is the greatest human mind in the universe that's no that's not that's not the case not possible no it seems like maybe that's that's a definition he created himself (laughs) which wouldn't surprise me given what we learned of graves but basically so his assistant has sent out an urgent message asking for help but then after sending out that call they're not receiving any messages so the enterprise can't say we're on our way because they're they it's just an outgoing message we need help there's no they're not allowing any incoming messages and then picard says that graves's work on molecular cybernetics is reaching a critical stage so saving his life is like a high priority for starfleet which again is a ridiculous like they're the only reason that saving his life is important is his work? That's not... Yeah, and Pulaski makes this point. She's like, well, I just want to save a dying person. Yeah. Like, that's why we're, we're on our way. For now. once, I agree with Pulaski here. In the corridor, Troy and LaForge are on their way to see Data. And Data had summoned both of them because he wants to show them something. And they're like, what is it you want to show us? And he's like, well, me. And LaForge says that Data sounded almost insecure. It makes a comment that maybe he's becoming more human than anyone realizes. And what's what's going on with Data? Data has a Riker beard. He's got a Riker beard. It's it's actually kind of amazing. <laughs> I had to I remember that most of this episode, but I had totally forgotten about that and I almost fell down watching it. I seen memes with the data beard, but I couldn't quite remember what it was. What I thought it those was were from. like fake. Oh, uh, no, yeah. I couldn't I couldn't remember. <laughs> no, yeah, he's it got all. a data beard and uh it's from this episode. So that's that's where it's from. I couldn't remember which one. I was yeah. like, "Oh, it's from Schizoid Man." Okay, here he is. Apparently there was I don't know if they like filmed it or if it was just like in the script they were also going to have him be bald at one point to like look more like Picard. <laughs> they didn't go with that. Nice. They went with the beard. He becomes Friar Tuck later on and he's balding in that one. Oh I yeah, guess. yeah. We'll get to that episode. He looks good as Friar Tuck. <laughs> he's, it's really, I think it's really sweet. He's trying this out and Troy and LaForge are just laughing so hard. Troy, they're, they're trying not to laugh, but Troy like cannot control it. And she just leaves. Yeah, she just takes off. She just like laughs and leaves. It's just so unsupportive of Data and his dead his choices. Yeah. (laughs) Jordy says he sounds insecure. And then Troy just laughs at him. Yeah, because I think he actually is looking for the validation from his friends about his style decisions. I thought he looks great. He looks very distinguished. He did. And I would have supported him in his beard decisions. Brent Spiner just sells the earnestness of Data with the beard so well. Like... He's oh, yeah. so good. Yeah, Data is, there's one thing Data has going for him is is, is earnest. Yes, yes. Which we'll see is, is such a stark contrast in this episode. Oh, yeah. On the bridge, another transmission from Gray's World. There's a general plea for help from a youngish woman who says that things are getting worse. 
and they can't reply. Graves' world is still not receiving. And Worf says that she and Graves are the only ones on the planet. So they, they need help because there's no one else there. Yeah. We get the intro. And then we learn that, like, on their way to the planet, they get another distress signal. And this is from the USS Constantinople, which has an outer hull breach. Can't they fix that? I mean, we seal hull breaches on the Enterprise all the time. But I guess the Constantinople, they can't, they can't fix it. Does the Enterprise ever put out general distress calls? Things have to get really bad for the okay. uni- for the Enterprise to do that. Yeah, people are like, oh no, the Enterprise needs help. Uh oh. The Enter- uh, yeah, and I think Picard for the most part would probably be like, the Enterprise sent out a general distress signal. I think not. <laughs> and would probably want to handle the situation on his own. Right. So Pulaski says that it's more important to help this ship than one person, no matter how brilliant this person is. Riker suggests that they do what Picard calls a touch-and-go-down warping, which is like just getting out of warp just long enough to beam a small away team down to Graves' world and then going back to help the Constantinople. And Pulaski wants to supervise helping the Constantinople. She doesn't think that she, the chief medical officer, needs to be there for Graves. She suggests another doctor, Lieutenant Salar, uh, who is a Vulcan, to go in her place. I have thoughts about this in a second, okay. but we'll get there. Okay. So the away team is composed of Dr. Salar, who is mentioned a lot throughout TNG, but I think this is the only time we actually ever see the character. Yeah, played by Susie Plaxton, I believe. Right, who will come back. She'll come who will back. come back. Yeah. And Worf and Troy and Data. So LaForge warns that a near-warp transport will have unusual effects. And Troy asks a bunch of questions as to what that means, and no one's to tell her, which I actually think is kind of crappy. It's really I weird. tell you what you're going to experience if that's going to happen. Yeah, especially if you're like, it's going to be really weird. And then you ask in what way? And you're like, oh, you'll see. Like You'll see. And what no, it that's is, terrible. Like, you can't say that to someone. Yeah, when, when she beams down, she's like, oh, I thought I was stuck in that wall. And Worf's like, yeah, you were. Like that wouldn't have been you that were, hard You were, you were stuck say. in a wall. So I guess what happens is like, it's almost like the transporter beam is drifting over the surface for a bit mm. as the ship is moving at like high warp or right. high relativistic speeds or whatever. Anyways, I don't think they ever use this maneuver again, the touch and go down warping. Yeah. Can I get, actually, can I complain about a thing for one second for with sure. this? sure, always. It's not important. It's not super <laughs> important. But there, there's an inconsistency around warp travel in solar systems. Sometimes they make it a big deal. Like you can't go to warp within a solar system. Yeah. You have to like... Enter the solar system from outside, slow down to impulse, right. come in. And actually, this plays a big part in some episodes. It, like, it's a major plot point that you can't go to warp in a solar system. Right. But in this one, they're going to warp literally, like, in orbit around a planet. And I was like, make up your mind, Star Trek. Make up your mind. Warp is the speed of plot. And sometimes the plot necessitates that you can use Going warp slowly in or a, fast. Yeah, like, in a, in a solar system or not. I know. Yeah. Anyways, not super important for this episode. But they they land in an empty room in Graves' home. The person from the transmission, who is Kareen, Kareen Brienne, and she greets them uh, as Graves' assistant and said that she had to send the transmission in secret because she couldn't take a chance. And then Graves enters, and I feel like he was just waiting outside the door to enter at the right moment because he, she says, I couldn't take a chance. And he says that I might find out someone was coming. So I feel like he was waiting. I've never had the opportunity to do that, to like enter in at an exact moment in a conversation like they do in Star Trek. Well, what you need to do is you need to just hang around before you enter any room. You need to just wait at the door for like 10 minutes. Offset. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Brianna tells Solara that Graves has like pain and shortness of breath and irritability. And Graves claims like, he's like, nonsense. Sense. I'm healthy as a regalian ox. Yeah. And he he doesn't like people. 
He also doesn't like doctors who he doesn't count as people, but he does like women whom he also does not count as people. So he's just a really, I said it in the intro, he's a jerk. Like, he's just the worst. Yeah, and like a lot of kind of chauvinist, uh, misogynistic comments that he makes, because he he makes some comments about Salar and how like she looks. Yeah, and Troy as well. And Troy as well. And that's when I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Oh, I think I had the same thought. That's why Pulaski wasn't involved in this section, because I guess it wouldn't make sense for him to make comments about her and her body. Because she's not. Because she's older. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally, I totally thought that as well. I was like, because I was, as I was watching it, I was like, why do they have this thing with the Constantinople? And I was like, maybe it's so that they had to delay getting Graves back onto the ship. But, and then I was like, no, it's so that he could make comments about another young-ish woman. So he's making those comments about Solar. Yeah, and it has to be like the young hot doctor. Like, it, it almost is self-reflective on the own episode's narrative, even though it's trying yeah. to point him out as being the chauvinist. You're like, wait a second. Yeah, they're just as bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so Graves is kind of, I feel like this is a, a pretty classic trope of, like, the genius who is so smart that he doesn't have to think about being, like, a, a kind person. So he's Elon Musk. Oh, my gosh. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I just got really sad at that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> I actually don't know how much of a genius he actually is. But anyways, um, I think he's portrayed as such. Well, anyways. I mean, he thinks he's a genius and that's just as bad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of geniuses might have that thought, even though they may not be. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Brandon asks Worf if he's a Romulan, which of course is a huge insult to Worf. Yeah. Because we know that Worf is not a fan of Romulans. Yeah, but it's it's basically just so that we can learn that she doesn't really know much about anything outside of Graves World. She doesn't know, like, she's lived on Graves World since her father died when she was very young, which to me says that Graves knew her when she was a child and he was an adult. And I think mm-hmm. that that is something that that's, we should keep in a, mind. That's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, then Graves notices Data. Yeah. And says that he has no, like, aesthetic value. Which I disagree with. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially, we were just looking at his beard. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> he recognizes Sung's work. And it was, I, I couldn't figure out if, like, are we saying that he is so familiar with cybernetics that he recognizes Sung's work? Or literally because Data looks like Sung. Like, he, he looks, like, his face is yeah. modeled after Sung. So you think he would look at him and be like, oh, you, you look like Sung. <laughs> I think that what probably the writers meant at this point was like I because he worked with Sung that he he knows the kinds of projects that Sung worked on and created. Yes. But uh, later on when we see that Sung is played at every Sung in the entire Star Trek universe is played by Brent Spiner. Um, well, and we we know that already because when when Data Oh, no, I guess not. Because when we find the mold, I was thinking when we find the mold for Lore, we know that he looks exactly like, like Lore. But but they may, you're right. Yeah, they may have know. not established yeah. at this point. Right. Yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. So it's this might be like a, we haven't figured that part out yet in the story. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but it should be because it, he says like, he says that he worked with 
with Sung. He says he taught Sung yes. everything he knew. So if, yeah, so he really, he recognized, this sounds, at this point. He should have recognized Yeah, at this point, yeah. this is a dig at what Sung looks like if he says that data has no aesthetic value. <laughs> Oh, maybe it is. Yeah. That, oh, that's even that might be deeper than I'm than we're giving it credit for. But yeah. But he so he says that he's Data's grandfather, basically. He's Data's, Data's grandfather. Yeah. He kind of he's kind of establishing himself as this parental type figure. Yeah. And as they're having this conversation, Solar sneaks up and begins to examine Grace, which I think is probably medically unethical to do since so. he clearly is refusing treatment. I think so. Yeah, but, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah, and he says that. He's like, doctors are always sneaking up behind you. He's like, so what What is the prognosis? And so Solar, who's a Vulcan? Did we say that? Solar's a Vulcan. I think, yeah. She says that he has Darnay's disease, which I think is a made-up Star Trek disease like all the other ones. It is. But that it's terminal and he's in the final stage. Yeah, but I looked up, apparently uh, there's a character. Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> there's a character, Charles Darnay. In a tale of two cities, which I haven't actually read, but apparently that story okay. is about identity theft and imposture. Oh, look at so that! So there, that's cool. You know, that you found that's that. a cool. I think that must be that must be uh, intentional. I always appreciate your background research, Ruthie. <laughs> Thank you. There's little things in yeah. there that I, I. It just adds so much. It's more little like like pieces to these episodes that I did not know. And about. it's one so of those things like Star Trek isn't. You know, it's not always that like subtle with the metaphors and you know but i i do really? like when they put little things like that in because it's you know a little yes. bit of subtlety they're thinking that hey someone 40 years from now might look this up on <laughs> on like on imdb Memory alpha yeah. <laughs> yeah or imdb for their podcast yeah exactly so the enterprise finishes with the constantinople they're like dudes like close your doors or whatever and not let your air out into space uh they treated everyone who needed it they're on their way back so graves and data are hanging out in graves office and graves is whistling if i only had a heart from wizard of oz yeah and so graves tells data to call him grandpa and data mm -hmm. asks what that tune is that he's whistling and they have a little conversation about the the tin man and data wants to know like what what happens to this tin man because you know, does he become a real person? And Graves says, well, it turns out he always was one. He just, you know, was too too nervous to realize, which like, I don't know if the writers know this yet, but that is the case with Data. He is a real person. He doesn't need to become more human. He is a full person. He has feelings in a different way, but they're still feelings. I feel very strongly about this. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're, I think you're right, and I think that they're, they're trying to head into that conversation yeah. in this episode, and of course, we'll, we'll have that conversation later on the season, yes. as well. Yeah, I think it was, I was kind of creeped out by Graves telling him to call him Grandpa. Yes, so was I. That it feels weird. It's just, it's such a like, let me impose myself into this type of relationship, and Data being so. I don't want to say naive, but basically innocent. He's like, oh, okay, this person wants to establish this familial relationship yeah. with me. And I I would like that because up until now, Grays is the closest thing that Data has come to meeting his own creator. Yeah. It's, to me, that sort of thing is like, someone can ask, can I call you grandpa? And you can say yes or no, but you shouldn't tell someone to call you that. I think. Yeah, it, it's it was it was creepy. It felt. Creepy. I didn't like it. It's. I think it is one of the many signs of the kind of person that that Graves is. Yeah, and we start seeing that really come out here yeah. because now he starts talking about data, and it's like super judgmental. Yeah. Like he he, he says how data's existence is 
just this kind of empty purgatory because he doesn't have feelings and he doesn't know desire and he doesn't know pain and he asks data if he can feel pain and data's like well isn't that isn't that undesirable and he's like well no because like uh this is part of existence and otherwise you're you're just existing yeah and then he stops himself and he says isn't this ironic or isn't it funny that a dying man takes the time to mourn a man who will never know death and then data says well i don't i've been really struggling with the concept of what funny actually is yeah which is a nice callback to the outrageous okona Okana. Mm. I can't remember that guy's name. <laughs> but Yeah, see? See? <laughs> <laughs> but it's I and then actually one just a brief moment of sympathy. Not sympathy, but like a brief moment of like seeing something that I can like I don't know, not relate to, but that I can have some compassion perhaps for Graves is that he says that he also has had difficulty understanding what's funny. So he, I I don't know, I got the impression that he was a bit of like he had trouble fitting in as well. Um, not that that excuses right. anything that <laughs> he does for crying out loud, but it's unfortunate that Graves is such a jerk because uh, the actor that plays Graves, William Morgan Shepard, yeah, he appears in Star Trek several times, yeah, and he actually plays one of my favorite characters in Voyager. Oh, he makes an appearance in Voyager as like this monster hunter, and it's such a great performance. He's also kind of a jerk, but not like a gross jerk. He's right. just kind of like a regular jerk, right? Anyways, I, I do like the actor and the stuff that he does in Star Trek. It's just, it's unfortunate that this, this character is so unlikable. He's so terrible. Which he plays really he well, does, I suppose. actually. Yeah. We we go out into the, the, the other room. Troy says something really weird to Brianna, and I don't understand why you would say this. Like, she says that Graves feels warmly toward her, and then she says he's attracted to you in many ways. And I I can't imagine if I found out that like this old, I should repeat, he knew her when he was an adult and she was a child. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would tell that person that, at least not in this way. We need this piece of exposition here. Yeah. Because it makes, it makes some plot points fall into place later. How are we going to do it? Well, Troy knows yeah. feelings, so we'll, we'll have her just say them. Yeah. It, and it felt, if yeah, it felt more like um, just exploiting Troy's ability here yeah. for sake of plot yeah. to get a point out. But it also like it's gross. Like looking back on it is kind of gross. Looking back on it, you, if if I were to have tweaked that dialogue in that situation, it would have been more like Troy goes up to her and is like, "Are you safe here? Yeah, like, do yeah. you feel safe? Totally. Like, are you <laughs> that's that's are the... you okay? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you live that's what I you live on this planet alone with this." dude yeah is it is it okay we go back to the office and data is impressed with how graves is facing death and he talks about he just kind of goes on about how amazing he is himself yeah, graves, like, graves is like, like yeah it's because i'm amazing i'm a genius <laughs> i'm amazing i'm a genius yeah. then graves says that he actually won't really die because he's figured out how to transfer the wealth of his knowledge into a computer and he's gonna He's planning on doing that before he dies. And then he he again mentions that Data doesn't know much about death. And Data, in his, you know, trusting, idealistic... <laughs> oh, poor Data. Yeah, he tells Graves about his off button. And he says that that would basically render me dead. And he doesn't enjoy contemplating it. And then the music gets really ominous as we get a close-up on Graves. And he says... 
Oh, where would Soom put such a device? Don't tell me. I want to guess for myself. Which is gross in and of itself. Yes. That, that's gross. It's so... Uh, let me guess where your off button is, Data. It's like... Ugh. And as we've known, when in the episode where Laura appears, yeah. Data talks to Crusher about his off switch. Yeah. And Crusher's like, oh, I didn't know that you had this. And he's like, well... Basically, something the effect is that he wouldn't really tell anyone unless he really trusts them. He thinks that he's establishing this kind of intimate, like familial relationship with Grace, and so he's just so taken advantage of yeah. it. It's it's terrible. It is awful. It's a violation. Oh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. The Enterprise arrives, and Salar says that she doesn't want to interrupt Graves. And Data, because they're clearly getting along so well, but she does want to get Graves up to the ship. And now we have another entrance right at the <laughs> right at the perfect moment where Data enters. And he says, that won't be necessary, Doctor. Graves has died. And he gets a little, like, corny as he's like, oh, Graves, he, he died in my arms. And his last wishes were... Something about his funeral. Yeah, it's unusually sentimental for Data. Yeah, unusually sentimental and it does not ring true. You know, like it doesn't feel like true sentiment. Maybe I, maybe I say that because I know what it is, but it I think it feels, it comes across as fake. This is the, the, the tell for us that this transfer happened. Yeah. And so Graves is now in Data. Yeah, where he again waited outside the door until he could find the perfect moment to enter the room. The perfect moment, yeah. <laughs> Back on the ship, Picard feels empty that the mission was unsuccessful because they they failed to rescue Graves. And he says, whatever scientific secrets Ira Graves was about to unlock have been lost forever. So they're going to go to the nearest star base so that Brienne, it's funny the way he puts it, he's like, yeah, so that uh, Ms. Brienne can get on with her life. Um, get on with her life. And... She's like, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. And so then we see a little more of Data acting a little bit weird in Picard's ready room with Dr. Salar and Riker and Picard. And he's just kind of talking about what the final moments were like. And he's, you know, there was no point in alerting the doctor. Everyone has to die. And then he, as he's leaving, he wants to confirm that they are going to honor Graves the way he wanted to be honored. And he says he is glad, which I feel should be a bit of a tip-off because Data does not use, whether he feels emotions or not, he doesn't use words like glad about himself. Right. I feel that yeah. should be like for the other characters. They should be like, I'm sorry, you're what? Then we go to 10 forward. Brianna is, is sitting, looking at the stars, and Data enters and... He gets kind of creepy talking about how she always loved the stars and she's a stargazer. As if he knows her, right? Yeah. So. so she thinks that this is stuff that Graves told him. And then he says, Ira never told you how beautiful you were to him. And he says, you are everything to him and almost touches her hair. And she's like clearly taken aback. And then he just leaves. Yeah. And in the transporter room, Data... Uh, Kareen, Picard, Troy, LaForge, and Wesley all gather to send him off. They're going to beam him into space. So he's in a torpedo tube casing. They can see his face. Yeah. And Picard gives a eulogy and said that he had rare gifts and great accomplishments that will be sorely missed. And Data decides to say a few words. And he's basically talking about himself because, again, Graves is in his body. Yeah. So he says that he had the face, or he was like the face of a thinker. He was a warrior. He was a man for all seasons. He was not perfect, but if he, if there was 
an imperfection is that he was too selfless for a common man. Everyone's just getting shocked as Jada's saying all of yeah, this. Yeah, they're like, what is what is going on? And and then he has this this phrase that he says, to know him was to love him, and to love him was to know him. Those who knew him loved him, while those who did not know him loved him from afar. It's just like ridiculous. It's bad. And Picard finally like cuts him off and he's like, sir, I'm almost finished. And he's like, no, Jada, you are finished. Yeah. Uh, LaForge beams the torpedo with graves in it into space. Like a burial at sea. Yeah. Kareen Brienne gets really sad. And Data, like, is he's behind her. And he looks at first pleased to see that sh- how sad she is. And then Picard, like, puts an arm around her, which I will say is awkward. A little bit, <laughs> it's yeah. It's like one of those things. We need to make this happen now. Yeah. So we're going to write this thing. So he puts yeah. it. And I also wonder if, he, like, as the, like, the character is just kind of like, well, I... I don't usually have to comfort people like this, but I guess I'll put my arm around her. I think this is what what people would I think want. This They're is, there. Yeah, this is what this is what sympathy <laughs> looks like, right? This is what compassion looks like. Um, and oh, but Picard. Data looks really angry at that. Yeah, there's like this jealousy there, and so they go back to the ready room, and Data apologizes so much for for talking and kind of babbling on, and he explains that he thinks of Graves as as a grandpa and Picard says that Data might be overdoing it with trying to be human suggests he just be himself and Data agrees and thanks Picard and Picard looks pleased with himself yeah Picard looks like he thinks he's really imparted wisdom on Data Uh, but then as Data leaves the ready room he's got like a really smug look on his face and like this woman walks by him and he like stares at her butt as she walks past and then he starts whistling if I only had a heart as he gets into the turbo lift, which is like if if as the audience, you didn't know that Graves was in Data's body. This is really where you, I think, would figure it out. A, because it's he's whistling that same tune. And B, uh, Data can't whistle, if you recall, from the first episode. Oh, yeah. Good good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, right. Yeah, I, hadn't, I was thinking more in terms of the song, but you're right. Data can't whistle. That, yeah. uh, see? Oh, that was smart. Yeah. So Picard thinks something went wrong on Graves' world, and he and Troy are talking about it. Troy is also concerned. They think that maybe losing a grandfather figure, like, affected him in in an emotional way that they didn't expect. That he's grieving, and Troy kind of says she hopes that's what it is. What I love about this is that they are allowing the possibility of what's going on with his behavior to be about Data's evolution. Yes. Partly. This is because they don't recognize that Graves has created this technology to do the mind transfer. So they, that, that hasn't really occurred to them. But they are they are trying to understand the situation in terms of, of Data's capacity to grow. And so in that way, I appreciated that. They're like, okay, well, how do we understand what's happening with him? Maybe he's being impacted in a very human, emotional way. And I appreciated that. Yeah, I did too. I think you're absolutely mm-hmm. right about that. So then on the bridge, Wesley... I couldn't tell if he was being... Was he being facetious? I couldn't I tell. Don't, I don't know. I feel like Wesley is like, you know, sometimes things that you think were really cool when you were a teenager, like then you look back on them, you're like, oh no, that wasn't good. I feel like, in, yeah, you know... In, like baggy sweatshirts. <laughs> listen, I love baggy sweatshirts. That was cool so. in the 90s. Sort of baggy but I feel like that's... <laughs> Like, you know, Wesley's going to look back on this and be like, wow, I can't believe I thought that was a great speech that Dana made. <laughs> because, yeah, it might be one he's, of like, yeah, he's going on about how amazing it was to know him, was to love him, was to know him. And then Data gets all patronizing and he's like, ah, oh, you're too young to understand the, f- the sophistication of 
you know, my brilliant verbal composition, which like you are, you also don't understand sophisticated verbal composition because it was bad. No, yeah, it was really bad. So Wesley points out the data. He's like, well, he's like data chronologically. You're not even much older than yeah. I am. But Data still calls him a boy yeah. and then refers to himself as a scholar, artist, philosopher, lover, or genius and like lover. Yeah. And Riker's standing there as well with just kind of this peculiar look at his like, face. What, what is, is going, going on? on? Yeah. And then Troy and Picard bring Brianna onto the bridge. Picard says something about like, oh, yeah, I thought you would like the bridge because I know about your interest in science and Data kind of mutters something about Picard's interest in her. Wesley's like, Data, what what are you doing? What's going on? And and Data says that he detests hypocrisy and then he loudly accuses Picard and, and also kind of implies Riker of having feelings for Kareen. Did you get the impression that that was at all based, like that Picard actually had feelings for her? No, I don't think that that's the I case. I didn't think, yeah, I didn't think so either. And I think if he did, it actually plays down his like instability. It would pray down Graves' instability because his jealousy is definitely coming from uh, like a very unhealthy place. It's like a place. possessive like, there's place. No, it's a possessive place, yeah. yeah. And then, so he says that Picard can't win her heart because she doesn't care for older men. And then he looks at Riker and he says, or men of limited intellect. That's not very nice. I don't think, like Riker's got a lot of, he's a lot of things, but I don't think he's limited intellect. I don't know. No, not at all. I don't think. I think <laughs> He's Riker, a good strategist. Yeah, I think people play down how brilliant Riker can yeah. actually be sometimes. Picard takes Data to the ready room. Troy tells Riker and Brianna that she felt intense, burning jealousy coming from Data. I didn't get the sense that that was like an empathic sense, but more like just picking up as a therapist based on behavior. Because again, we can't read Data, right? Oh, I thought she was picking it up and that was what was so weird. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure if that was like, it was through her empathic senses or if it was just her as her, like as a profession, as a trained counselor, she's recognizing the behaviors because in the past, oh, I don't know. Again, I don't know if we've established this or not, uh, yet or not, but that androids can't be read by empaths. I don't know if that's canon yet or whatever, but in, in any sense, yeah. she knows that this is coming from, like that data is expressing these, yeah, these it's feelings jealousy. of jealousy. Yeah. No. So then in the ready room, we're saying Data, but it's obviously Graves. Right. Uh, he thinks that Picard should apologize to him <laughs> being such a for being jerk. rude. He's like, yeah, I, I'll accept an apology for yeah. you. Like, what? A data, like Picard actually grabs him by the yeah. shoulder. He's like, I beg your pardon. And then he, it's, he also does this, oh, it's such an annoying thing where, because Picard says something about like, how he would take him to sickbay, but he wouldn't. that wouldn't do any good. And he's like, oh, sickbay, Captain, are you not feeling well? Like, just being so, like, intentionally obtuse. Smug. Yeah. And yeah. then he says that he, he again uses this phrase that he is as healthy as a regalian ox. Right. Picard gets him to do a circuit check on himself to see what's going on. He does one and says that he's fine. And Picard says for the first time, I don't believe you. That's a, that's a big deal, yeah. right, Picard? Picard always believes Data. He believes Data and he always demands truth out of people. Yeah. So when when he doesn't believe him and he says so, like, that's a big deal. Yeah. So in engineering, LaForge, they, they kind of zipped to engineering. LaForge is running a physical on Data. Data's sitting in this chair and basically there's like this glowing blue sil like circle that's yeah. glowing around Data. Yeah. And as LaForge is like scanning him. And Data's like visibly irritated like rolling and like his eyes like oh do yeah. i gotta sit here and do this and like completely in an undata like manner yeah who thinks that this is just a waste of time 
Yeah, so then Picard, after much argument, sends Data into the corridor to wait for him. And LaForge says there's nothing wrong with him. We can't find anything, at least in the circuits. Yeah, and so Troy says, well, maybe we're looking in the wrong place. Maybe it's not something physical. It's something mental. And so she gives Data a psychotronic stability examination, which is something that they all did before graduating Starfleet Academy. And basically, she puts these... What are those things called that they put on the forehead? Some kind of mind probe thing. I, You know, in addition, like this, in addition to watching Wesley go through his like psychological tests in the first uh, season, I've started to question Starfleet, Starfleet Academy, Academy yeah. and the mental trauma yeah. I leave on people. For sure. But the idea is that this, he looks at these images that like show on a screen. The machine just sort of gauges his reaction. The images include, it's kind of funny. So like, there's Kareen Brianan, there's a waterfall, there's the ship. And then there are like scenes from previous episodes. So there's like Tasha Yar, there's Picard, there's like Riker without a beard. There's, uh, we see, what's the guy's name? Remick from the conspiracy episode. Like we just see all of these like. There's frames from uh, from one of the Star Trek movies from Wrath of Khan. Oh, is there? That are in there. <laughs> yeah, from some of like the visuals from the Genesis device. Oh, yeah, They're just yeah, kind of yeah, thrown yeah. in. They're like, uh, throw it all together. Yeah. In the ready room, Picard is talking to LaForge and he's he says like, well, you're Data's best friend and he wants LaForge to kind of speculate on what's going on. And LaForge has some ideas about Data like really wanting to be human, but that kind of, he stops talking about that when Troy enters because she's got some bad news. So she says there's two disparate personalities within Data. One is the dominant and one is recessive. And the dominant one is brilliant, vain, paranoid sensitive prone to irrationality and picard is like of course like yeah. he could, he's starting to put it together but he doesn't say anything yet he doesn't say anything yet and troy says that the dominant personality hates picard and but also like any type of authority which kind of makes sense we see graves living on his own yeah <laughs> naming a planet after himself yeah. he's like i i'm the dominant authority for sure but she says the dominant ego is basically she says gobbling up mm-hmm. the weaker one which is data and that they could lose data forever yeah We get a captain's log that Picard thinks Data's behavior is somehow connected to the experiments that Graves was doing. He and Troy are looking for Data. Data was ordered to stay in his quarters, but when Picard asks the computer where he is, he's in 10 forward. So he asks Worf to go keep an eye on him, not do anything. I don't know that Worf is the one you want to be doing your covert operations, but that's chief of security, so... (laughs) I mean, Klingons do have cloaking devices. I think they do understand just, that to some degree, but I don't know what Just go Worf. and subtly stare at him, Worf. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? And so here's where I think it gets like creepiness is just like up to 11 here. Brianon is looking out onto the, like out, out the window at the, at the stars and Data approaches her and he's like, oh, we can stop pretending. You know who I am. And eventually she realizes that it's, it's him. It's Ira. Yeah. And he explains what he did and he's surprised at how much of himself he retained. She's like, you're not going to get away with this. And he's like, how? It's my body now. So back in the ready room, Solar and Troy tell Picard that Data and Grays were alone together for all this, practically the whole time they're down on the planet. So this has given them the window of opportunity to do the, the data transfer of like his, ha, data transfer. <laughs> Didn't even mean that. But so basically he's put his mind into data, taking him over. So Salar tells Picard that Graves seemed brilliant, 
egocentric, arrogant, chauvinistic. And Picard's like, sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Yeah. So they all realize what's going on. Yeah. So then, yeah, back in 10 Forward, Graves is so happy to be immortal. Yeah. And he like grabs her hand and he says that he's going to make an android body for her too. And they can witness the end of time together. And he says, I can, I can love you now the way I always wanted to. I mean, he's not trying to he's he's not asking her what she wants first of all but the other thing is like he says before he was too old and like he frames that as like his like it's more about his body that like he was too weak for her but like he's still way older than her he was still an adult when she was a child and knew her at that point he's still too old for her (laughs) even if they're both in android bodies and she gets really upset. He's got like their whole life planned out to the end of time. He's like, we could be immortal and just keep shifting into new bodies or whatever. I'm just imagining like from her perspective that she's like, I'm sorry. You want me to spend eternity with you? <laughs> just the two of us? No, thank you. Like in terms of immortality, like you think about, okay, like if we're going to live that long and you think about how over that time... That time changes and the universe changes around you. But do you change? Yeah. I wonder if those who are seeking immortality might be the ones on whom immortality would be the most wasted. Right, because... Because they wouldn't grow they or change or evolve over time. Like, I don't think Graves would is one who's like, okay, I, I'm taking your feedback and I'm going to think about these things and change my behavior now. He doesn't seem now. to be one who's open to changing. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Yeah, so it's just something to think about is that maybe, you know, those seeking immortality would, would be, you know, the least likely to use it effectively for growth or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, so, but you're right. She's like, she doesn't want to stay with him because he's, he's a jerk. Yeah. She's like, you're not going to put me in a machine. Yeah, she wants to live her life. And then... Like he, so he's holding her hand and he, he gets angry and he starts holding her hand really tight. And so she says that he's hurting her and he immediately lets go and leaves 10 forward. Uh, but he was, I mean, this, this comes up a little bit later with like, he doesn't know his own strength, but regardless of Mm -hmm. that, like he was out of anger. He was squeezing her arm. Yes. It's, it's scary. It is scary. Yeah. And so back to the ready room, uh, Picard, Salar and Troy catch up. On all what's happened. And Picard quotes from Shakespeare. And you found that it is. Yeah, it's uh, Sonnet 18. It's the one that, the sort of famous one that starts, Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? And it ends, So long as men can breathe or eyes can see, So long lives this, and this gives life to thee. I I thought that sonnet was about, like, someone talking about their lover's beauty existing forever, which is not quite... What is going on here? But anyway, that's what that's what Picard says. We, Picard likes Shakespeare. Yeah, and there's kind of a, I want to say like an admiration almost in Picard's voice here for what mm. Graves has accomplished, even though it's kind of... But anyways, it, immediately afterwards, he says, Graves may have built a bridge between person and machine, but now I'll be forced to tear it down. Yeah. It's a, it's a moment where... I don't know how to feel about that because it's... I, I can understand he's trying to appreciate the technological accomplishment that's been made. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I thought he gave more reverence and respect to Graves than what was deserved in that moment. That's how I felt. I think that's fair. Yeah. It doesn't affect his actions, which is good. But yeah, I I see where you're coming from. That makes sense. So then in engineering, Data is sort of hanging out on the upper level. He's kind of just resting his head 
on the balcony bar. And I think this is a, a really nice moment because this is something that Data would never do. Just kind of stand like that. That you'd never see Data. Yeah, and that this kind of body posture yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So Picard approaches and he says, I know what you've done. And he says, you had no right to do that. And Graves says that he had every right. Because Data was a machine. He says, before me, he was nothing. Just a walking tin can with circuits for intestines. Pathetic. Without heart, a man is meaningless. I mean, he still has surrogates for intestines. <laughs> that's true. That, that hasn't he changed. Does. But I, yes, sorry. I, I'd be no, I, I think that's a good point, though, because Data does have heart. And the, mm-hmm, absolutely. the whole song that, that he kept, that Graves kept whistling was, it turns out that the Tin Man does have a heart. Like we've said, you know, several times, this season is really setting us up to think about is Data a person and and so here picard is arguing that he is a person yeah and that he's a new life form yeah. he actually says that in there he's like data is a form of life he is a life form and now that you you've cheated yeah you cheated by extending your life at the expense of another person picard takes the elevator up to the level to to where graves is and we see that laforge is on the floor unconscious Right as Graves mm-hmm. is saying that Picard is lucky he's not a violent man. Right, yeah. He says that, you know, these unconscious people, that wasn't his fault. They told him that he shouldn't be up there and they shouldn't have they shouldn't have told him that. And he seems to like believe or at least be like trying to convince himself that what he's saying is true, that it wasn't his fault. Yeah. That even though he is there's there's now like a pile of unconscious yeah. people on the floor. Yeah. So Picard points out that Yes, Graves was working on bridging that gap between like a person and a machine, but that data wasn't ever actually part of his plan. It was just a coincidence that data showed up. Like if, and Graves talked about how he was planning on uploading all of his knowledge into a machine. The fact that data was there, that wasn't something Graves had planned to do. Then he also points out that something has gone wrong and like, look at, all these unconscious people. And he calls to sickbay to ask how Corrine is doing. Her hand is fractured and Graves is visibly upset at that. Yeah, and again, explaining these are all accidents. I started wondering like, okay, did something go wrong? They sort of imply that that Graves' behavior is not endemic of who he is, but might be as a result of this illness. And so then I was like, okay, well, let's, if we presume, if we grant that, then perhaps what's happened is like whatever his mind, the state of his mind as a result of that illness has now persisted. Like it's once been it was preserved in that data, state. Yeah. In that state or something. But for whatever, it, but maybe he was always like this. I, yeah, I get that impression. <laughs> yeah, me too. So basically Picard's main point is he says in the end, he says, no being is so important that he could usurp the rights of another. And at that point, Graves yells and hits Picard, also knocking him unconscious, but then asks himself how many more accidents. So I get that he doesn't know his own strength because Data's body is ridiculously strong, as we have seen before. But he said he wasn't a violent man, but he just, out of anger, fractured Kareen's hand, knocked at least two engineers unconscious, or like maybe he didn't mean to knock them unconscious, but he did hit them when they told him he shouldn't be up there. And he again hit Picard out of anger and knocked him unconscious. Maybe knocking him unconscious wasn't intentional, but hitting him was intentional. Like he he is being Yeah, violent. it's not really an accident. No, it's an accident. Like, yeah, he didn't mean to knock him unconscious, but he did mean to hit him. Yeah, it's not really accidental. But it does seem to have 
an effect on him. Seeing that he has knocked now yet another person unconscious does seem to affect him and he realizes that he isn't in control. Yeah, he's not completely disconnected from the damage that he's inflicting on people. Pulaski arrives in engineering and wakes Picard and LaForge is also just waking up and Picard notices that Data isn't there and he has to go like find him and Pulaski's kind of wants to restrain him because he's just woken up and he's like, no, 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 we got to go deal with this. LaForge, Picard, Pulaski, uh, Brigand, and they all arrive at Data's quarters and Data's lying on the floor and he wakes up or they start him yeah. up and he's like, may I ask a question? And then LaForge is like, I think you just did, Data. And he's like, then may I ask another one? And another after this one. And he starts to ask why he's lying on the floor in this undignified position. And Picard's like, well, that's enough for me. I recognize that this is Data. And it so clearly is. That's one thing that, oh, there's so much that Brent Spiner does so well. But making the distinction between Data and anyone who's inhabiting Data's body is just so, it's one of my favorite things about Data and, and about what he's mm-hmm. able to do. But then uh, Brianon looks at the computer and sees that Graves has uploaded himself in there. And and that'll become a future point in many other episodes. You're being facetious, right? <laughs> I am. Yeah, we never talk about Graves being in the thought, Data's computer ever again. I was thinking again. about that and I was like, I was like oh, so is it just going to hang out with Moriarty? Like, <laughs> Yeah, they, like, they, they're friends. They would be well suited to each other. They, um, oh, they would, yeah. They would either be well suited or they would like their programs would like destroy each other because they would each want to be the top dog. He's like, I'm a sentient mind trapped inside of this computer. And Moriarty's like, first time, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Join the club of the other collected sentient digital <laughs> beings that live inside of the Enterprise after by the end of the show. Yeah, yeah. Then we get a captain's log. They have said goodbye to Kareen Briannon and the intellect of Ira Graves is in the ship's computer. All of the knowledge is there, but no consciousness. No consciousness. So they make that distinction yeah. that it's not like conscious knowledge anymore. So maybe they can like draw on it in the future. But yeah, it, it never gets referenced again. Never this is one again. of these things that's kind of like now it's it's in its own data file somewhere yeah. in, in the ship's computer. Yeah. So Data tells Wesley he doesn't remember anything. And so Wesley again <laughs> quotes this speech. He's like, you don't remember like to love him is to know him is to love him. And he's like, maybe it's best that I don't remember. <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah, maybe. And then he's like, he's like, I didn't do anything like unbecoming of a Starfleet officer. And Riker teases him and asks if he remembers wrestling a Klingon Targ. And there's like this pause. And then right before the ship warps away, Data goes, did I win? <laughs> Because you want to make sure you win against the Targ. Targ wrestling's no, you know, it's a matter of honor. For sure, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of With the First Link. If you liked what you heard, please feel free to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast provider of choice. Our cover art was created by Nathan Nunn, and you can find more of his work at NathanNunn.ca. Our theme song is An Amazing Adventure by Flame Lion Studio. You can follow us on Instagram or on Twitter at FirstLinkPod or send us an email at FirstLinkPod at gmail.com. Let us know if you ever want to be immortal. I'm Ruthie. And I'm Matthew. And generally speaking, don't give your own eulogy. (laughs) Doing our best to look at it all through an anti- Sorry, got it. Start that all over again because I almost said anti-depression. That is, I mean, this does have an anti-depressive force on my life. (laughs) Mine too, but you know, we're not. And hopefully on the lives of our listeners. But we're not going to be like, no, you're depressed. Jesus, okay. Let's try it again. Look at you through an anti-depression lens. (laughs) Okay, let's try that again.
Let's try that again. <laughs>